Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Welcome to Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. And this is Arnie. And it is Christmas week for us. The busiest week of the year, at least. Black Friday and Christmas Eve all rolled into one. That is New York Toy Fair International. And that's starting this Saturday. It is. Traditionally, it always had been Sunday, but the last few years they have added Saturday, which kind of throws a kink in the works because of the traditional Hasbro event that usually would previously fall the day before, and now it falls on opening day. So it's run over in the morning and meet with Lego at 7 a.m., and then throw in some appointments, and then walk uphill in the cold ice and snow. But it's going to be nice this year, thank goodness to the Time Center and do the Hasbro thing, which is like four hours in a showroom. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, I know our show has been a little bit sporadic lately. We're getting things back on schedule, but we need to make sure you know that this weekend we will still be your source for all the Toy Fair coverage. Follow us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We're going to be live tweeting from the Hasbro panel because they don't allow any recording or we just live stream it. We're going to be coming to you live. Our goal this year is all live coverage from Lego, from Hasbro, from Funko, from Kotobukiya. Everywhere we go and see Star Wars, we're going to go live. Yeah, so make sure that you are following us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know, maybe Morse code maybe we'll put out. I mean, there's so many platforms anymore for social media. Let us know where you want us to go. We may not be able to make it happen by Toy Fair. And keep where you want us to go polite, please. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you where you should go, Ernie. But yeah, as you mentioned, everything's evolving and we're just trying to evolve with the times. I think when Star Wars Action News gets back after Toy Fair, we're going to try to evolve. We are in... Our 13th year. Ah, wow. We've done 501 shows now. Yes. So what worked in 2005 doesn't quite work the same in 2018. We want to keep up with the times and bring you the coverage you guys want to hear. Yeah, so make sure that however you choose to see us, that you subscribed. And if there's something that we're not on, let us know. Snapchat had an update recently that's just apparently terrible, so... Let's forget that. <laughs> I can't find my snaps anymore, so it's not fun. So now it's just turned into something where I take fun pictures of my dogs. But it's going to be an exciting year. This is the 40th year of Star Wars action figures. It is, which, you know, I was a wee tot when they came out, not old enough to know to request them. And the same thing with you. So this will be, I don't know, I'm hoping we get something cool and interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the three and three quarter inch line, knowing that the vintage collection is coming back. I think that 
this is really going to spur on some collecting because while I enjoy the new movies, I honestly can't say I feel the same connection to Rose that I feel to Leia. I don't feel the same connection to Poe that I feel to Han. So getting the vintage collection back, getting a look at all eras, and as much as I love Hasbro's Black Series 6-inch, getting back to some 3 and 3 quarter inch figures is something I'm very much looking forward to. I think this is going to be an exciting year. I do. I, I agree. I think it's going to be super amazing. I mean, we do have Solo coming out, which is getting a little bit of mixed reactions, but I'm just going to kind of wait until I see the movie and then make my judgment. But we're going to get more toys there, which means we're going to get a young Han or younger Han. I'm really excited for the relaunch of the super articulated three and three quarter inch. I think that's going to be amazing and fun. The Walmart exclusive line has proved very difficult to track down anything new that comes out. In fact, the same figures are there as they were a year ago. There's some distribution problems, I think, either with Hasbro or Walmart or they're not selling in the quantity. So I'm very, I'm cautiously optimistic. But at the same time, I know a lot of people our age are getting out of collecting. Yeah, I've never been able to find DJ Ray or Rex from the latest Walmart waves, and I haven't been able to catch them online either. No, I've not seen even a hint of them anywhere. The only thing that I'm afraid of, and I'll be talking to Hasbro about it when we get there, what's the price going to be? They're going to have to reveal that, I think, at Toy Fair. A $14 or $15 three and three quarter inch figure when you've got a $20 six inch figure. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm being very optimistic that this new vintage collection doesn't rerun the old vintage collection where they overship at the beginning and the demand doesn't meet the supply. So what figures are you hoping to see? Well, we know what several of them are going to be. I think at this point, I mean, we're kind of looking at deep dives. I mean... I want to see... Stuff from the new movie in the three and three quarter inch style, super articulated. We have very little of that. And I think that especially some of the background aliens, Uncar Pluck would be a really fun vintage collection figure along the lines of when we got Dexter Jetster back in the Attack of the Clones era. Yeah, remember we really thought he was going to be a big, huge character in the movie and nope. Well, he was huge. Well, yes. (laughs) But... Yeah, I mean, if somebody's going to make their Jakku diorama, I guess they would need that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're going to be going for, are the deep dives in the original trilogy. Because, yeah, there's still a lot of background characters. Is there a quintessential figure from the OT that we haven't gotten? I'd like an update to Yak Face. Yeah. Because we haven't had one of those in decades. I'd like to see an update to the Amana Man that we haven't gotten since the Power of the Jedi line in 01. I would like to see a number of the current troops in the three and three quarter scale from the new movies. I'd even like to see some of the Rebels and the Clone Wars done in that realistic style as they did with the Ahsoka. I think while I love the original characters... They're going to have to work hard and really improve paint apps or improve sculpts. Maybe they can use that new digital printing technology they have for heads in the smaller scale that they've been using on the 6-inch scale. But they're walking a fine line with longtime collectors. Because on the one hand, I hear collectors saying, I want three and three quarter inch figures. I want 
the figure size that I've had for 40 years. But then I hear out of the other side of the same collector's mouth, another Luke, another Vader. I have so many of them. How can they walk that line and not go so deep that somebody goes, Jaina Solo, who would want a figure of her? Yeah, it's a very, I don't, I don't envy Hasbro's job. Let's just say that because you're not going to make every single person happy. Everyone has their loves and likes of what they want to see, the things they don't want to see. Of course, we're going to get more Lukes because Luke is the bread and butter of this line. People always want the heroes. It's a given. We're going to get some Lukes. We're going to get some Rays. I don't know so much about Jin. I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, she only had a few outfits there and she's not going to get any more outfits. And we did have her in Black Series, though she would make sense as a repack. Yeah. So we're going to get stuff like that. We're going to get the Constable Zuvios. We're going to get the Dexter Jetsters. I just wonder how much focus they can put on new sculpts, because we know the first few waves are going to be a lot of repacks, some hard-to-find characters, some not-so-hard-to-find characters. But let's look at what this year is. Solo in May. Will they have a... They did Force Friday 1 and Force Friday 2 for the episode movies, but they had Rogue Friday for Rogue 1. Would they do a Solo Friday or something? Or is the release going to be more muted? Are they going to have a huge toy line push for Solo? I know there will be some. Well, according to the conference call they had for stockholders, they're going to move the toy release closer to the movies, which is what we had seen previously in the George Lucas era was, it was what, about not even a month, was it? About one month exactly. Okay. So, and now we were looking at, what, almost three months between the figure release and the movie, which is going to be a, a big detriment to people who are casual fans or people who really don't buy that many action figures because you're not going to go buy a Ray or a Rose if you don't know if you like them in the movie. Well, I did, but... Yeah, you've got a whole <laughs> different issue there. I just agree with that, though. Yeah, I'm thinking back to all the midnight releases I did for episodes one, two, and three, and they were always about four weeks before the movie because excitement builds for the movie in that time. I could see this making sense. I didn't realize they said that in the stockholders call, but by the time the movie comes out, we've seen those figures so many times, the excitement is gone. Exactly. I mean, we went and did Force Friday with Andrew this year, and we had a great time, but by the time the movie came out, previously, you and I would go to Walmart after the movie and maybe go buy some more toys, because there's always a few things coming out then. It's like, they seem to have timed it, or else our stores did. But this time, there was none of that, because there was nothing new on the shelf. Because we got it months and months ago. So, yeah, I do think there was some excitement lost. I do like the event, though, of Force Friday. Yeah, I do, too. But with a movie release every year, how do you prevent it from becoming tired? That's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, with a movie every year, are they going to give every movie that focus? Basically, I'm wondering if while I'm sitting here hoping for an Uncar Plut or some of the other background figures, an eight-pack of Praetorian guards with every helmet and weapon combination and three and three-quarter inch... If what they're going to be giving me are all the characters from Solo. So I'm going to get waves of Amelia Clark and young Han and young Lando. And did I see Maz Kanata in that trailer? You did. Absolutely. So that has been retconned and just couldn't leave it alone. You think Ryan Johnson is doing this movie or something? Ouch. But 
I don't know how much focus we're going to get on the older stuff. And that's something I talked with Hasbro about last year at New York Comic Con. But I do think since we have 18 months, including a holiday season, between Solo and Episode 9, maybe this is a chance for Hasbro to play some catch-up. I'd like to see Bodie to kind of finish off our Rogue One squadron and maybe Cassian in his more common not Hoth outfit. They've got 18 months. Let's see what they do with it. And usually we've been getting half a year off. They hadn't done much in the start of the year. And then they built up starting midsummer coming to the new movie. This year is going to be different though. It is. This is all new territory and new toys and Everything, and it's a very different world with Disney being in charge of some of it because of the different movie releases. And how can Hasbro compete when you've got adult collectors who are buying figures and are buying higher-end figures in similar scales, especially as that price creeps up? This is all speculation. We will have answers this weekend. I know that Hasbro has a lot of brand loyalty from people, including myself, but we'll have to see how it goes. Again, as we mentioned in the last show, they're looking at th- at least three toy lines if they have Black Series and the 5 POA and the Black Series 6-inch. Also, talking about collecting and looking at the 40th anniversary, we got an email from Carl Holly, and he had a question that he would want to discuss, and I thought it would be interesting. He said, This may come off as a very strange way to have a movie connection, but it's through the action figures released and the connection of their character to the film. I've seen The Last Jedi two times, and upon leaving the second viewing, I realized how much I put stock into the action figures that I collected before the movie released. Such wonderful toys that I had questions about as characters on the big screen would only show for seconds of screen time. For example, the BB-4 pack that Disney released had me dreaming of these crazy droids interacting or playing a larger part in some way. Yet, two of the BB droids had less than a second of screen time, I believe. That's just one example, but have you experienced a similar connection? Well, absolutely. Remember when we thought Constable Zuvio was going to run Jakku? Well, you know, I think that there's also a difference. Back when the prequels came out, if you remember back to those toy release midnight fun, we had to be very careful never to look at the back of the figures, the card backs, because they spoiled part of the movie. And now you don't get that. It doesn't have that. So you you are really just going in blind as far as what character may be big again. Constable Zuvio. But I think it goes back to There's another name for it. I'm sure we can come up with because he wasn't the first character to have this happen, nor is he the last. No, but he's the one who was completely cut from the film. And let's not forget, these movies are changing. The reason they made Constable Zuvio is at one point, he was a pretty major character, and they cut. And with Rogue One, there were reshoots. Well, I'm going to bring in another franchise because this happens at Toy Fair. One of the great things about Toy Fair is you see toys coming up for movies, 
that are coming out soon, or you see products that either are in the process of being made or perhaps they're pending licensing approval. So you'll see a bunch of stuff that never gets made, which is kind of cool. But I remember one year we went to the Lego event and they had a bunch of stuff from the new Iron Man movie. It was Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin. And one of the big Lego sets was the speeder boat chase. <laughs> and... I mean, it was it was a decent size set for. We we're like, oh man, there's gonna be boats. It's gonna be really cool. That was in the movie for maybe thirty seconds, and there was a big Lego set. And that's because they were told, hey, this is gonna be a big part of the movie. And by the time they got the movie edited, ready to go, it was not. And so. Toy companies take a gamble. A lot of times they're told, okay, you can choose these things to make. You can choose five of them. Or they're told, hey, make all these. Like, they're not given a choice. And then it ends up not being good. I'll admit, though, that when the toys come out and the movie's coming, especially with Rogue One and Force Awakens, because we knew nothing, there was a lot of, oh, who's this? What's this going to be? How are they going to interact I will pay more attention to a character on screen because I know them from the toy aisle. I figure that person's important. Like Rose, when she is introduced in The Last Jedi, the way she's introduced tells me she's going to be a character with an arc. But as soon as she showed up, I knew everything about her. I knew she was a tech. I knew that a Disney voice would say, I can fix anything on that Comtech chip. So I knew quite a bit about her coming in just based off of the toys. I'll turn this, though, and say that I think even after seeing a movie and buying toys after seeing a movie strengthens my connection to that movie. And the example I have of this is twofold. The first is my own personal example, Greedo. I had that vintage Greedo, and he is wearing this green striped outfit that looks nothing like what he's wearing in the movie. And I still love when Bill Cable at Creature Cantina did his cartoon because it was always Snaggletooth and Greedo and Ponda Baba kind of hanging out and they had 70s night and they were in their really crazy vintage figure outfits that they wore for retro night. But when the new Greedo figure came out, as many times as I'd seen Star Wars, I'm like, wait, is that his outfit? I thought he wore her green stripey outfit. And I went back to the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's wearing green and yellow pastels with a vest. He did not wear a green spacesuit. And it's not just me. What color is Han's coat on Hoth? Okay, but that's a different thing because it's depending on how you look at it. But it, we know it's blue. We know it's blue because the vintage figure had a blue coat. So most figure collectors would say blue. So to me, I'll look at figures and think that the movie is more like the figure than it is because I see the figure more often than I see the movie. Well, and that's the same reason why we're a little bit more harsh on human faces than alien faces is because every day, at least once a day, you are seeing a human face in the mirror. So... I think we're a little bit more harsh when the sculpt or the paint doesn't live up to it. Like that new articulated three and three quarter inch rose, I thought it has a terrible sculpt, but then someone showed me what it looks like when it's painted differently. 
much better. So I, I think we're a little bit more harsh on that because we see humans all the day. I don't see Rodians every day. Well, I guess I kind of do, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. You don't see breathing Rodians. You just see my collection. Yes. Well, speaking of Rose, we do have some other collecting news, including book collecting. Brock is here to join us with his review of Elizabeth Ween's Cobalt Squadron and its audiobook adaptation. Hey everybody, it's Brock again. I had a chance to read, or I should say listen to, the audio version of Elizabeth Ween's Star Wars Cobalt Squadron over the Christmas holiday. The book is read by Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose in The Last Jedi, and the book revolves around Rose and her sister Paige's relationship. The story takes place before and during the events of The Force Awakens, and the end of the book leads right up to the beginning of The Last Jedi, and the book revolves around their relationship, how they work together, their strengths and weaknesses, how their partnership as sisters and as resistance fighters. We thankfully don't get flashbacks, we do get references to their history, to their parents' death, to what they endured to get them to the resistance, the mutual respect they have for each other's opinions, abilities, points of view, and how all these experiences have made them closer and inform their decisions and who they are. I really found the book quite enjoyable. Kelly Marie Tran did quite a good job reading it. The book goes down very easily, and I like the connection to the movie. Again, one of the biggest problems Nathan and I have with all these journey to the movies, whether they be The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, is the connection to the actual movie is tenuous at best. And here, it's a direct link in that you will learn more about who this person was who died in the beginning of the movie. Now, sure, this is the same idea they had with Rogue One Catalyst, with the relationship between Krennic and Galen Erso, but this one works 10 times better. And yes, this is backstory on Paige and Rose that is not necessary to get how it affects Rose in the movie, but up the stakes just a little bit, of course, as you think it would. So I would recommend this one. Quite an easy and enjoyable read. I suggest pick it up if you have a chance. It certainly is one of the stronger entries this year. And our thanks again to Delray Audio for the review copy. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. Now, to finish off this week, I had a long talk with Nathan P. Butler. As mentioned on our 500th episode, he did write the book, literally, on collecting Star Wars in home video. That book really has me intrigued, as does home media collecting, which I myself have done. So joining us now is Nathan P. Butler. So thanks for joining us, Nathan. Hey, glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about A Saga on Home Video. Well, uh, it's basically, it's a guide to U.S. Star Wars home video releases, although it does at times touch on ones from other parts of the world, either because they're just really cool, or they somehow show us where another region is doing something differently than the U.S. is, or maybe we're ahead of the game compared to us. But it's done as a narrative. Uh, I looked at a lot of different collecting guides because uh, I wasn't intending to actually write one at first. I was looking for one, and it turned out that most of the ones that I would find were either very much incomplete or they stopped updating. Say it's an online guide, but might have stopped updating you know, five years before I started collecting, really. Uh, or you had a, a situation where you had a really good collecting book, but it covers a little bit of everything. So when it came to home video, it just it just be here's a picture, here's a quick name of what it is, and that's it. So I took sort of my love of Star Wars and history and home video and fused them together. So this is essentially a narrative of the history of Star Wars on home video. So it goes through all these different releases, but it talks you through it in kind of a conversational way between, you know, here's what happened at this point. Here's how this company changed. Here's where this approach changed. Here's how fans reacted to it, things like that, so that hopefully 
for even readers that aren't necessarily heavy into home video collecting, it'll still be an interesting read instead of just being a list of photos and, and titles and things like that. What kind of research did you have to do for this? Um, well, fortunately, I'd been doing my series on YouTube from the Star Wars Home Video Library for a while, so a lot of research I had already done as I went along. So that was things like uh, doing a lot of research into the products themselves and making comparisons to others to see what you know what features have been moved. When did they move from mono to stereo? With laser discs, when did they finally stop time compressing them so we could see the whole film without losing anything? Uh, that sort of thing. That was research that was sort of done bit by bit as I added new items to my collection. So when the time came to actually write the book, it tended to be the more nuanced little things, like when exactly was it and what were the circumstances of, say, magnetic video being folded into 20th Century Fox, uh, and then eventually the merger that gave us CBS Fox Video and stuff like that. It was more the business side behind the scenes of that. And then when I started putting together the the checklist at the end, basically after the last chapter, there's a, a detailed checklist of everything that shows up within the book. Um, it was then going through and getting product numbers and things like that to set up. Thankfully, most of the narrative I already had a good sense of because I've been doing that for YouTube for about, it's about four years, three years prior to actually starting to write anything. Talk to me about your collection of Star Wars on home video. I mean, most of the things you discuss in here, you already own, right? Yeah, um, that's actually what made me think that I could perhaps write a definitive work on the subject, because uh, in my case, when I was doing, I started with just U.S. releases. I started with, you know, the main ones that most people would look for, like, OK, I'll have one of the 1997 special edition. I'll have a copy of the 2004 DVDs. We had kind of one of each. And I started filling in those gaps, and then as that started to fill up when it came to you know, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, I started adding like, okay, well, I'll add some Betamax and Laserdisc and some CEDs, you know, the old uh, vinyl Laserdisc-looking things, until finally it just became just this urge for completion. And I started grabbing things from other parts of the world. I grabbed uh, all the really weird, obscure stuff from the U.S., the stuff that – most people would be like, why would you spend that kind of money on it? Because I must have it uh, like going through and spending hundreds to get the Dressing the Galaxy book in its limited form because it has a DVD with it of special new stuff. Um, basically, I've got to the point now where I've got pretty much all the U.S. releases that they've put out. And I'm now just kind of supplementing with new stuff as it comes out and adding just interesting things from other regions like the Blue Fans, uh, Chinese steelbook sets and things like that that they're putting out so that gave me the ability when it came time to look at doing a book to actually take all my own photos i wanted to make sure i had full creative control full legal control all that kind of stuff over the book so i figured what better way to do that with the pictures and actually take them from my own collection snap all the shots so i wind up with about 300 photos give or take in the book um, but everything you see a photo of is straight from my collection and the handful of maybe Less than 10, probably less than five items that get discussed that don't have pictures is because they weren't in the collection at the time, uh, most of which I've actually added now. So when, when there's eventually a second edition years down the line, then those will actually show up in there, too. I was once a completist when it came to the home media collecting as well. I had started back with the uh, THX remasters on VHS, which I got both full screen and then widescreen because I wanted the different packaging. Then I went back and got the old 80s VHS releases. I picked up the DVDs when they came out. I went back and got a couple different versions of Laserdisc. But the endless re-releasing since probably Revenge of the Sith and such, where they'd release it with a 
different cover but not a bonus disc and then they did add the unaltered versions back in as bonus features but then they re-released those discs without those originals what compels you to keep buying all of these because i gave up i stopped supporting this with my money thinking someday i'll be able to get these really cheap because they're just flooding the market i think it's a couple of things um one is just that feeling of compl- of wanting to have the complete set, wanting to have everything, but but thankfully that was something I came into. I'd been picking up releases until about 2013, but it was only in 2013 that I really started trying to collect everything. So at least by then, I kind of knew what I was getting into as far as reissues. I had no idea for a bunch of the obscure stuff, but at least I, I kind of knew, yeah, if I'm going to get stuff this year, chances are I'll buy it again two years from now or something. Um, but it also helps that... As an economics teacher, I'm always thinking in terms of the ways that the market fluctuates for these things. And when I went through to try to get just the DVDs, I mean, let alone going back and getting stuff from the 80s or, you know, trying to find uh, eight millimeter long reels from the 70s or anything like that, just in looking for things like the original trilogy box set of DVDs that came out in 2008, the one that you mentioned that had the reissue of uh, the second time they actually put those unaltered editions supposedly on there. Uh, those were pretty expensive when I went to look for it because you see these patterns where something will come out and then there'll be a reissue. And a lot of times the reissue winds up being the one that later is going to cost you more and be harder to find because people look at it and they scoff like, why am I going to buy this again? You didn't give me anything extra. I'm not going to touch it. And then sure enough, you know, a few years later, here's something that used to be relatively inexpensive. And now you're paying upwards of $100 for a DVD set. That's basically the same stuff that you already have in this other DVD set over here. Um, so now it's almost become a, a matter of avoiding the gambling on it. If I see something as it comes out, I see it at an affordable or a decent enough price, I'll grab it then because I don't want to be scrambling later to try to find it. Because depending on how people react to it, the price could wind up being through the roof the next time I go look for it. I'd rather just get it now when it's at least, you know, in theory, what the market will bear with whatever the retail price is. But uh, it's actually been hurting more lately because of the whole Amazon Disney spat where you can't pre-order a lot of Disney uh, releases through Amazon now. So a lot of times if I'm going to find something, I'm pre-ordering through Best Buy or through Walmart or something like that where they don't quite have the discounts that Amazon would tend to have. That stings a little. What is this Disney spat? I haven't noticed that. I've- uh, it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, digitally, usually you can get you can pre-order almost anything from Amazon, but when it comes to most Disney-based films, even the Marvel ones, uh, they will either not allow you to pre-order at all, Or the pre-order will come so close to the actual release that if you were going to pre-order, say, a month or two ahead, a lot of times they don't have it on there. Like you could go run a search for, uh, you know, as as they were popping up on places like BestBuy.com and whatnot, uh, if you were trying to go pre-order copies of, say, Rogue One, you couldn't do that until about two days before it actually released on Amazon. Um, Better with the Marvel stuff. Um, the one thing I've noticed is that the Netflix series, when they finally come to home video, those actually tend to pop up fairly quickly on Amazon. But most Disney stuff, you have to wait. I mean, even Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, whatever the, the most recent not-so-great one was, um, took them a while before they actually popped up. So if you're looking for those, it's a lot – You know, it, especially if you're like me and you try to just budget it way in advance and just say, okay, the money you spent, I'm pre-ordering it, I'm done. Um, that's when a lot of times you want to look for someplace else, especially when it comes to Star Wars stuff, because there seems to have been some some issues there. I think they're in the process of working it out from the last I've heard, but it was something over basically the – I think it was, wasn't was even physical copies. It was something about profit sharing 
I can't recall if it was on the digital stuff or the physical stuff, but it caused them to basically try to squeeze Disney out of some of their business. And of course, Disney's huge. Amazon's huge. It didn't really work. Amazon does that. I mean, you can't buy an iPhone on there or an Apple TV either. Yeah. And I mean, that, and that's that's their prerogative as a business. I just as a consumer, I'm sitting back thinking, man, wouldn't it have been nice to be able to buy this from Amazon or for Amazon even to carry it as a pre-order? Because I bet you even if I didn't buy from there, it probably would have forced the price down at BestBuy.com and elsewhere. Amazon's really sort of a price leader in that respect. And when they're not putting pre-orders out, it means that everywhere becomes just a little more expensive. Um but, but again, those are at least things that you can plan ahead with. It's the old stuff that's the trickier stuff because those you never quite know what you're going to get price-wise. It's all kind of an Amazon marketplace or an eBay thing. So at least with pre-orders, you know, you kind of know that what you're going to get at one place is about the same as somewhere else. And it's probably going to be about the cost of an equivalent release from some other franchise in terms of how many discs it has. It's not like you're going to look for something that, you know, has one little thing in it that you want and you're spending hundreds. Um, although sometimes you get stuck. Just recently at the end of 2017 for, for the Christmas season, Walmart put out a huge line of reissues. The only time we've ever seen 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment and Walt Disney Home Video partner up for a Star Wars thing so far. They put out reissues of the DVD and Blu-ray releases of both of the most recent films from Walt Disney Home Video, but then also the complete saga set as the six-movie collection and both of the 2013 DVD-Blu-ray combo packs – all with new slip covers, and every single one of them had Volume 1 of Forces of Destiny on DVD, the only time Forces of Destiny has ever been on home video yet. And there was no announcement. It never showed up on Walmart.com's website. Um, if you didn't catch it right then, you were stuck. So even in this Internet age, it's still easy to miss stuff, and then you wind up paying like crazy. Are you getting the international stuff yourself as well? Some of it. Uh, my focus is on the U.S. collection. But if it's an interesting international release or it's a current international release, a lot of times I will. Um, I actually started off with a couple of guys who were donating things they found in the UK into my collection so I could show it on from the Star Wars Home Video Library. And then what's happened since then is I've got enough of those that I'm starting to pick them up from elsewhere. Uh, my newest thing outside of just getting the, the current releases from the UK, uh, which was nice because they are still doing Blu-ray 3D and it apparently is dead enough over here that they're not even going to do that for Last Jedi in the U.S., from what we can tell. Um, uh, aside from those, I've started to lean into these really nice, really hard-to-find box sets of steelbooks out of China that they actually don't officially sell outside of China. You've got to basically have a broker to be able to get them. Um, and those wind up being a little expensive, but they're also absolutely gorgeous sets once you get them. But it, I'm very selective when it comes to the stuff from outside the U.S. Um, it needs to be something either unusual or something that goes along with a collection that I've already sort of started building a little bit from other items. And for the most part, it needs to be something that I could watch myself. So an all-region Blu-ray, uh, a regionless Blu-ray, uh, something usually in English. I think there's only – of all the stuff in my collection, I've got one VHS set that is uh, Spanish language, and I've got one DVD that's actually a U.S. release that's in Navajo because A New Hope was the first film they ever did a full cast dub of in the Navajo language. Um, but otherwise, I tend to shy away from non-English copies just because I want to be able to view them and understand them myself. But you have a lot of things you can't view, right? I mean, I remember when I visited your house back in, I think, 06 or 07, you had some copies of Star Wars on what looked like giant three-and-a-half-inch floppy disks, but those yes. were like seven-inch. The CEDs. Uh, yes. Vi vinyl disks. 
that you that use a needle that are inside a container that looks like an old floppy. Um, I actually at this point, uh, thankfully, I've got a working Laserdisc player now, which is the biggest thing I wanted to make sure to add and, and biggest, not just in terms of importance. But my God, those things are basically like semi trucks compared to modern players. Um, so I've got that now. Uh, I have not gone through the process of hunting down a Betamax player yet. Because it essentially Betamax and VHS contents tended to be the same. And I haven't gone for a CED player because most of the time when you see a CED player for sale, it'll be, you know, uh, sold as is. Uh, it works, except it doesn't have a needle. Well, where am I going to find a CED needle now? Um, so I haven't dug into that, but there's only about three releases of that. Uh, now the biggest thing, if it's something that I'm not going to be able to watch, it'll tend to be then I'll have all these Blu-rays or something or Blu-ray 3D discs coming out of the UK that I can watch, but then there'll be a DVD copy as well as part of, of getting all the different releases at the time, and the DVD copy will be uh, Region 2 instead of Region 1, where I wouldn't be able to. Um, but most thankfully, we're getting to the point where now you don't have the NTSC PAL issue with the resolution that you would have had in standard definition now that it's blu-rays blu-ray 3d uh, ultra hd blu-rays they tend to be region free unless a company's really trying to stick it to some other market most of the time so i can buy from the uk from japan from china and still be able to watch them just as well as if i was buying uh, a u.s product but in those cases you'll still buy the u.s product yeah 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 of course <laughs> of course uh, it's like i'm gonna it's 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 my it's my equivalent of, I guess, you know, getting all the different var variants of a toy. But what's, you know, what got me into it, what got me thinking at the beginning that this is a good thing to get into, was that I had been collecting the books and comics for the Legends continuity now for canon, and I pretty much had gotten all the stuff I wanted for that collection. Like I'd been collecting since '92 for that stuff, and I reached a point where I was like, well. Unless I'm hunting down signed items or limited edition versions of items, there's not really much of a hunt to still do. I've already got a few home video things. Let's go ahead and delve into that. Let's make that the new collecting thing. And my thought was, surely there can't be that many out there, which was the Wile E. Coyote moment, you know, where you look down, you hold up the sign that says, yikes, and you just you just start plunging. <laughs> um, because I, I had no idea how many different versions there would be. Uh, everything from just different things I'd never heard of before. Uh, like certain uh, Laserdisc releases, for instance, that I might not have heard of, but also stuff, uh, you know, like a PVD, like who'd ever heard of a PVD, a personal video disc, but that's what Story of Star Wars was first on. But then you run into things where it's like, oh, yeah, but see, there was this version of this and there was this version of the exact same thing. But see, because of when it came out, this one says Fox Video and this one says CBS Fox Video. Don't you have to have both? And, of course, I'm thinking, no, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I really do. Ouch, you do. I was going to ask about that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. Um, but thankfully, that doesn't happen very often. Usually, you don't see the exact same thing released with just a label change. But back in the 80s, when they went 20th Century Fox Video into CBS Fox Video, and then from there to just calling it Fox Video, yeah, they had they usually had overlapping releases where one year they'd put out a copy, and then within two years, the exact same thing would come out, and they'd change the label on it. And it's technically a new variant. Um, and a lot of it wasn't even that I was like, I must have this. It was, ooh, that's cool. I want to make sure I can show it on the YouTube channel. I want to make sure it's in the book when I started thinking about <laughs> writing the book. And it became sort of, well, I've got to have it now, which I guess would allow me to to, uh, to say it's it's research. That's okay. Um, <laughs> thankfully, my wife is very supportive of it. Whenever I run across something, I turn to her and like, honey, this thing is about $300. But it's so awesome, and it would make such a good thing for the book or whatever. And usually her response, instead of being, I can't believe it, is, is you better get it while you can. I'm like, <laughs> I love you, honey. 
Thank you very much. Um, I don't know if I could do it without having that kind of support behind me because otherwise it would be always, you know, should I do this? Should I not? And she's usually back there. You know, she, she's the enabler back there kind of nudging <laughs> me going, yeah, go for it. Do it. I'm glad it's not drugs. I'm glad it's home video stuff. One thing that I found that I didn't know about until very recently is I was at an old toy show, and I found from the early 80s film reels of Star Wars that had certain scenes in, like, 16 millimeter. Do you collect those? Uh, I do. Thankfully, there's not many of them. You've got basically probably what you saw was the uh, Super 8 stuff. Yeah, They've Super got 8. Uh, Super 8 reels with selected scenes of the original film from 77. And then in 80, they put out ones for Empire, but they never did, at least over here, for Return of the Jedi. It's actually part of why I, I made sure when talking about those things in the book to call it home viewing, because technically it's not home video if it's film, and there are people who will go nuts on you for that. But basically, uh, they had it, – it's kind of a weird thing because they've got these ones that are these longer ones that if you actually switched between reels, you could probably watch about a half-hour truncated version of one of the movies – but what I found fascinating was they it's like they couldn't quite figure out what people wanted or could afford. So for A New Hope, before they put out longer Super 8 8 millimeter reels, they put out these small ones. And you and it was the exact same scenes every time, but it was, here's a black and white version. Here's a color version, but also with no sound. Now here's the one that's color with sound. Like, oh, you know, you know you're living large back in 77 when your film reel has sound to it. Um, it just, it's just kind of one of those weird things, but I love seeing the evolution of how the technology changes the way it's presented. So I wound up picking those up as sort of a starting point. And, uh, I actually have a video on the YouTube channel also that's basically a visual timeline of the releases. And every time I do one of those, I always actually start in 76, because even though the first copy of A New Hope as a full film didn't come out until 82, uh, on home video at least, I always go through, I'll show them, you know, here's the original novelization of A New Hope that came out the year before the film. And then here's where the home video stuff starts with the 8mm. And then we get into kind of the more mainstream stuff. Because to me, if you leave that out, it's kind of leaving out a chunk of the evolution of the genre. Because as, as I'm telling this narrative, part of what I wanted to talk about was things like, you know, here's where we get the rise and the entry of Laserdisc into the market or CED into the market. And here's where CED is just a complete flop and just dies. Um so there's that backdrop of what's happening in the broader market, not just uh, not just the Star Wars side. In fact, the last thing that's in there when talking about the live action films is a little segment on, so are we going to see it in 4K? And here's what 4K actually is. And I guess by the next edition, I'll have to change that up because we're finally going to get Last Jedi in 4K um, in a little over a month. They're supposed to do an official announcement here in about a week, week and a half. So hopefully um, we'll be hearing more about how awesome Last Jedi is in 4K. It'll be a nice conversion. But I don't think you can get there without the other. It's just like if we were talking about, you know, Star Wars toys, it'd be hard to really tell a, the full story of that without talking about, you know, the Kenner days and then Hasbro and how the company was, uh, you know, uh, the the purchasing and whatnot that took place that sort of transformed the company and all that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's part of the necessary narrative. It's just, it's the story of home video, just like that'd be the story of toys. I suppose my next question is about that evolution of video, though, because one thing I've noticed, and I just think of you because. I you know, we're friends and I keep up with your collecting and all the stuff you're buying. And I also see your frustration, though, at lack of things like TV series on Blu-ray isn't what it used to be. Mm 
the sales of home video have been decreasing year over year with the advent of streaming. And I know as a movie collector in general, I loved bonus features on movies. And now you're lucky to get any because the home media just isn't selling as well. You mentioned the Marvel TV series and those things barely come out on Blu-ray, but they're all at streaming. And I feel we're at a precipice. I mean, the week we're recording this, Target and Best Buy announced they're going to stop selling compact discs. They're not going to sell music anymore. And can Blu-rays, DVDs, can physical media for movies be far behind? I think we've got at least a few years left to it. Uh, mainly because there is, there are still parts of the U.S. and certainly other parts of the world where the broadband access isn't really what it needs to be to be able to get the higher quality streaming and get it at it with with reliability. Basically, um, I think we're at a point where it's now only a matter of time, but it's still a little bit away. Once the infrastructure technologically is there, then we'll probably see these types of releases starting to fade away, except maybe every once in a while you'll get something that's more of a collector's item, kind of like now people putting out you know albums on vinyl, mainly so that you can have them as a collector, not necessarily the same way that you would get them for the play quality that you would have back in the day. Uh, what, I'm, what I see more is, unfortunately, it's the loss of the things that physical discs do that usually digital doesn't, not just the bonus features, but I'm a big proponent of 3D film. Uh, I love being able to pop in a 3D movie at home on my old PlayStation 3 and watching on my PlayStation 3D display um, to be able to get that experience here. And we're to the point where, I mean, for Rogue One, there weren't any wide releases of that in the U.S. You had to go to Target or Best Buy, even though the U.K. got a wide release. Um, for The Last Jedi, same thing. U.K. is getting a wide release over there, but it's still shrinking in the U.S. where it doesn't look like, unless Walmart announces it, which would be kind of weird because they haven't done the 3D thing um, for Star Wars before. Um, we're not probably going to see a 3D release over here for that at all. And that's something that usually digital doesn't even try to do, even at the, the peak of 3D home viewing, which was fairly recent and now it's <laughs> dropped off like a cliff. Um, you still didn't tend to see that. Every once in a while you'll see something like that, but for the most part, not. Um, I would hope that 4K, since it's a resolution, it's just a better picture quality with the HDR and all, is going to become something where that can't fade the same way that 3D did. Because that's something that, yes, you can get those Ultra HD discs, but Netflix is offering, so, is offering selected films in 4K if you pay the little bit extra to get the 4K streaming as well and that sort of thing. Um, but you're right, bonus features, uh, interesting new packaging we won't see, but I would say that on the plus side, the thing that we talked about really early on, uh, the reissues. You wouldn't be seeing, you know, every year, here's Walmart putting everything back out again with a new slip cover because it's the holidays. Um, we wouldn't have seen if this was, you know, an all digital time, we probably wouldn't have seen a reissue of you know, just taking the DVDs. We had the one in 2004 and then they took out the bonus discs for 2005, added some uh, so-called unaltered versions that are basically just the 1993 versions except the beginning of A New Hope. Um into it for 2006 and then reissued those in a box in 2008 and you know four times buying basically the same DVD. It's just a question of what was the bonus with it. Something like that I don't see really happening from a digital standpoint. It tends to just be, hey, here's the one digital release and that's it, unless they then offer a digital bundle of some kind. Um, 
And when they finally released the Star Wars films as the digital collection back in uh, 2015, they actually had a fair amount of bonus features, some of which were even archival stuff that hadn't been seen since the 1993 definitive collection. But now you're right. You pick up a movie and most of the time there's not bonus features. And if Mm -hmm. there are bonus features – how they're on there or if they're on there tends to depend on the platform. Some will tack them onto the end. Some of them will have like a flash interface that lets you access. Some just won't have them at all. It's, it's tough, but I'm not sure how long we'll be able to still justify the physical copies. Um, there will be, there will always be some who want them physically. I want them physically. Uh, but uh, there has to be a certain number sold to be able to justify producing them in the first place. And we're heading towards that point. I don't think we're there yet, but we're definitely on that slippery slope. Then unless something gives, yeah, I, I can't imagine if we were having this conversation 10 years from now, I can't imagine there being very many new releases for us to talk about because they probably will all have gone digital. Yeah. You mentioned the 4k discs. I kind of want to parse some of the things you said with the 4k discs. I too started buying 4K movies this year, and I think that with the UHD, they look tremendous. Mm -hmm. But 8K televisions are for sale now. This is true. This is true. (laughs) The fact that iTunes went back and every HD purchase I'd ever done, which primarily for me was I'd buy the disc and then enter the code and I'd choose iTunes. Every movie I had in HD that they have in 4K, they upgraded to 4K for free. So that's one thing that I liked about digital, where if they go 8K, I think the movie studios are going to have a hard time with that. Because right now there's a website out there, Real or Fake 4K, because a lot of Mm -hmm. studios are doing with 4K what they did with Blu-ray, where they take the DVD transfer and just put it on a Blu-ray disc. And some people are up-converting Blu-ray to 4K, and it doesn't look any better than it would on a Blu-ray. And I do know from people I've talked to in Hollywood that 10 years ago, maybe 20, they started a massive scanning of films because the reels were going bad, but they were scanning at 4K, thinking that's so far away. We'll have this giant master. <laughs> yeah. And now 8K is on the horizon. Yeah. And and the thing about it to me is that it's, I mean, it's it, you've got these gorgeous presentations out there, but you're also seeing less... I think the incentive is to keep up with the times, but there's less and less incentive to go to that next thing. So by the time a lot of people are catching up to that new thing, there is that new other thing on the horizon. Like there's there was a distinct difference you could see between, say, VHS and DVD, not as much between DVD and Blu-ray and then not quite as much between Blu-ray and Ultra HD, at least for many people, that it's causing sort of a slower adoption of 4K than probably is needed given the fact that we still have 8K coming. We may have people just sort of jumping over 4K to go straight from um, their previous HD to get to the 8K. Um, But in those cases, I guess it's nice that iTunes would do such a thing. I think that it's, it's less a question of the formats changing and more a question of the availability that's going to suck people into doing digital. Because until, even just until, you know, a year ago, if you bought a digital copy, you were pretty much stuck on the one platform you bought that copy from. Or you bought the physical disc like you and I tended to do and just would enter the code, right? Mm-hmm. You'd have a digital copy. Well, I had a ton of digital copies I'd never used because I was an iTunes guy. I was like, oh, ultraviolet. <laughs> no. And I would just <laughs> toss it. Um, but now, thanks to what had happened where Disney Movies Anywhere became just Movies Anywhere and now links all these different companies, you know, if I've got something, as long as it redeems on one of the many platforms that synchronize for Movies Anywhere – 
then I'll have it on every single one of my platforms. And that type of, you know, pick your platform, you're still going to be able to watch whatever movie you got, even if you don't prefer the one that you had to redeem it on. That's sort of a game changer. You know, it, it makes the availability almost a Netflix level of availability. No matter where I am, I've got it and it's all streaming. Um, I think that's going to be a, a pretty big part of it because you don't even have the old division of, well, I would get this digitally, but it says ultraviolet, not iTunes or whatever. Or I get it on iTunes, but then I couldn't watch it on, on this device because it only works with these Android movie programs and such. And now it's just get it and literally watch it anywhere. The discs are becoming, uh, you know, they're nice to have on the shelf. But I mean, even for me, I, I love watching films, but if it's not Star Wars or Marvel, most of the time I'm not buying physical copies anymore. Except it's, it's, or if it's Ultra HD, I will. Um, but not generally buying physical copies, just like with books. If it's not Star Wars going in my collection, I'm getting them on my Kindle. If it's comics, if it's not Star Wars going in the collection, I'm getting them off Comixology. Um, the, the trend in the move is there. And there's a part of me that wonders what happens to collections at that point. I don't tend to see digital collections as collections most of the time because I recall with, with some, some trepidation the worries that people had whenever Barnes & Noble said that they're going to stop supporting certain things for the nook. And there was the concern of, well, uh, what if Barnes & Noble goes out of business or something? Do I still have access to it? Or when Star Wars shifted the comics from Dark Horse to Marvel and how – Okay, well, you could still download the old ones, but you couldn't buy any more. So now you've got two different apps, and if you want them over on this app, you have to go buy them again. Um, it puts a lot of faith in the companies who are housing all of your digital stuff. But for some reason, that just doesn't feel to me quite like ownership. So it doesn't feel like having a collection per se, even though, you know, sure, I'll I'll watch The Expanse and I'll get digital copies. I think I actually want that one on Blu-ray. Now I've got digital copies and the Blu-ray. Anybody want my digital copy redemption slip? Because I already got it while it was on TV. <laughs> uh, we're still in that weird mixed mixed media kind of mode. But um, there's a part of me that actually almost welcomes the idea of being a collector who could say I actually have a complete collection because they're not making physical copies anymore. <laughs> but then what do I collect? You know, then what do I turn to next? Um, I got a feeling knowing my wife, it would be turning to the Build-A-Bear Star Wars stuff, probably. Along the same lines, I was kind of surprised your book, A Saga on Home Video, is not available for Kindle. It is not. We ran into an issue um, when you're formatting the books with a lot of pictures in it. Kindle doesn't work all that well, um, particularly if you're doing side by side comparisons. Kindle works well if you've got a picture and just a little tagline underneath it because of the, the way that you basically format it before you submit it. Uh, but when you're trying to do side by side shots or if you've got, say, in some cases, I've got some instances where you've got two side by side, another two side by side underneath and then a wide image beneath that. Um, the best way to format that for printing um, is actually by using tables and getting rid of the lines. So they're all nicely lined up. You can deal with the, the uh, left, right, or up, down uh, orientation and centering and alignment of every single image by itself, even though you can do some things to affect them all at once. Um, and it made for a nice-looking print book, but as soon as you try to put that into the Kindle automatic formatting, it, it chokes on it, basically. Um, the lines of all your tables come back, and some of them don't look quite right. Um, so it came down to either doing a complete reformatting and new formatting of that, and then anytime the book gets updated, do another format, uh, or look into maybe a next edition being more EPUB friendly. But it seems like the advice every time I turn around, which is how do you make this a book with this many images EPUB friendly, their response is take the images out. And no, <laughs> you know, that's to me, that's that's part of the point. 
Uh, if, if anything I do with the images, it would be to try to redo everything in full color. But my concern with that has always been and was with the first one. It drives the cost up so much that it almost becomes cost prohibitive for a lot of fans to buy the book. And again, it'd be, well, I guess I can just reduce the number of pictures to make it more affordable. Well, no, I mean, I I think a sweet spot of grayscale and and actually people being able to buy it without having to spend as much as you would on a box set of Blu-rays. I think I think that's a decent spot. Um, but yeah, I, the Kindle thing is just one of those things that still sticks with me as a as a as a frustration point. Um, so I'm hoping that by the time we get to another edition, maybe after Solo, probably after Episode Nine, really, um, once there's enough stuff out there to actually justify a new edition, that the the processing and the way that it works for Kindle will be a little bit more image friendly because they're they're improving it all the time. They're just not quite there yet. All right. Well, Nathan, this has been a great talk and fascinating. For listeners, you can get Nathan's book on Amazon, and it is reasonably priced, as he's been talking about, just twelve ninety nine. And Nathan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nathan. That is our show for now. Two shows in very short succession, and we're going to be coming this weekend live from Toy Fair. So follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and we're going to post as best we can an approximate schedule of when we're going live with each company. Yes, and make sure to pay attention on the feeds, too, because you may get some behind-the-scenes live videos of what it's like to be at Toy Fair, what it's like to experience it. And because a lot of people have questions and everyone's like, oh, I want to go to Toy Fair. You don't. I mean, it's not like going to a Comic-Con. It's not like going to Celebration. It's huge. It's arduous. Most of the companies there are there to either get press exposure or to sell things. It's not a looky-loo. Nope. So follow us for all that coverage. We look forward to bringing it to you. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you very soon. And until then, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com slash support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. 
All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting.